Hermes, a young woman, a wife, and mother to two beautiful babies, a doula, and a Bible teacher who is rediscovering what it means to live a life with Christ. And this is my podcast. This podcast exists to celebrate the journey of discovery and learning and to share the stories of those who we can all be learning from. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm excited to share a conversation I had with my friend, Ali Mast. But before we begin, I want to let you all know, this conversation may not be appropriate for all listeners. Content includes conversation about mental illness and depression, postpartum depression, self-harm, and other topics of that nature. If you usually listen to this podcast with your children around, I'd encourage you to hit pause now and come back another time, or pop in your earbuds. Allie and I also talk about the nature of mental illness. Is it chemical imbalances? Is it spiritual attack? Is it lack of faith? And so on. One point I want to clarify before we jump in. I don't think there are quick fixes for anxiety, depression, and other mental illnesses. Treatments are as complex and variant as the patients for whom those treatments are crafted. I make a statement later on in this conversation referring to brain chemistry imbalances, and I do recognize that is a part of the puzzle of mental health, but medicine alone cannot bring healing and wellness. Bessel van der Kolk, a world-renowned expert on the way that trauma affects the brain, said this, the brain disease model, that is, the model which reduces mental illness to merely chemical imbalances, overlooks four fundamental truths. One, our capacity to destroy one another is matched by our capacity to heal one another. Restoring relationships and community is central to restoring well-being. Two, language gives us the power to change ourselves and others by communicating our experiences, helping us define what we know, and finding a common sense of meaning. Three, we have the ability to regulate our own physiology, including some of the so-called involuntary functions of the body and brain through such basic activities as breathing, moving, touching, and four, we can change social conditions to create environments in which children and adults can feel safe and where they can thrive. All that being said, healing does not happen in a vacuum. If you're currently experiencing mental health unwellness, consider this your invitation to bring that to the light. Healing is possible, and you are worthy of being healthy. Now, without any further ado, let's lean in and hear from my kind and courageous friend, Allie Mast. for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, we're not together. We're talking on the phone, but I'm really excited to get to share you and get to share your story um, with everyone who's listening. So can you just take a few minutes, Allie, and just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of introduce yourself. Are, where are you from? And you live in Ohio now, but how did you end up getting here? Yes. Well, first of all, Bernice, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I was really thankful that you said yes when I reached out to you. I'm so excited. Um, also, I'm you. really excited for your upcoming podcast. So I'm yes. very excited to get to listen to that when you start releasing it. Same. I'm still in the process. <laughs> 
but it will be here eventually. It's always a process. Yeah. Um, okay, so my name is Allie Mast. I was born in Minnesota, but I was raised in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, I lived in a home with both my parents and my older sister. We went to church regularly. I became a Christian at a young age. Uh, but I also had anxiety pretty much my whole life. And shortly after I started my first semester of college, I had like a total mental breakdown. And I decided to go back home after I think I finished like maybe half a semester of college, maybe. <laughs> and after I got home, I was like, I'm not I don't want to stay home. And I knew I wanted to go somewhere and I wanted to go somewhere that really was focusing on Christ and where the people that were there were actually wanted to be there because that was one of my big um, beefs with the college I was at. I loved my professors, but like the majority of people there were just like there because their parents made them go there and that was annoying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the pastor of the church that I was going to in PA had strong connections with Off the Wall, which I know you've talked about on your podcast before with other people. Um, it's a discipleship program based in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and so I reached out to staff at Off the Wall. I decided to visit, and then I ended up coming out to Ohio for the 2014-15 school year, planning to be here for nine months, and I never left because I fell in love and got married and had a baby. So here I am. Man, I feel that. Because <laughs> when you came to visit, you stayed at my house. I did. You were, like, the first person I met, like, in person with Off the Wall. Yeah. I remember because we – you really wanted us to go buy cookie dough. Like, we were doing, like, a sleepover, and you wanted us oh, to go get yeah. cookie dough. So we just, like, walked out of the store and got cookie dough, and we ate hardly any of it. And then you left the next day, and we just had this whole tube of cookie dough in the fridge, and we were like, oh, I guess we'll <laughs> That's funny. bake this. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't eat more of it. Cookie dough is, like, one of my top five favorite foods. Oh, man. I recently made – cookie dough that is un like it's meant to be eaten raw it oh yeah have eggs in it and you like kind of like par cook the flour to like kill any oh yeah i don't know any weird stuff that might be in there and That's oh my cool. gosh i ate it all <laughs> it was so good so <laughs> I'm awesome. uh and i'm glad i'm glad that you came and i'm glad that we got to we got to live together for one year two years? one year yeah because yeah, yeah. the next year you were in a different house you're right Correct. um but then, yeah, you got married. We all got married around the same time. Yeah, same summer. Year, same summer. We, uh, it was us and a whole bunch of other couples, but us and the Millers uh, yeah. and you guys, we all called ourselves JK 2016. <laughs> <laughs> we got married in 2016, and we had the same pastor was officiating all of our, our weddings. Yeah. I remember that I wanted to make t-shirts that said hashtag JK2016, but I don't think that ever happened, so. No, I don't think that ever happened, but it's not too late. <laughs> That's true. Let's have a craft night. That's what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you kind of, like, talked a little bit, Allie, about, like, your experiences with, like, mental illness and depression in the past. And so maybe would you be willing to kind of share that with us here? I know that you mentioned that when you were in college, you kind of had like you kind of got to a breaking point mentally, but mm-hmm. you know, what did that look like for you? And, and I know that you also walked through a lot of, of that after the birth of your daughter. So I guess what has that journey been like for you? Yeah. Okay. So I will try to not talk for an hour because 
obviously I've been going through this my whole life. That's right. It's a long, <laughs> it's a long story. It's not. It's so like, I'll, I'll try and, and condense. But I've had anxiety since like literally my earliest memories. I have memories of like being a toddler, like under two years old. I've always been anxious. I just thought that was normal because that was my experience and I never had a word for it. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, I got very, very depressed. Um, I also was self-harming and I didn't talk to my parents about it for a while. Um, eventually, a friend helped me talk to my mom and I ended up going to counseling and things did get a little bit better. Um, but I remember my therapist talking to me during my last session with her and she was like you know this might happen again some other time in your life like maybe when you go to college or something and I was like why would you say that to me I was like so mad at her (laughs) and then not that long later it literally happened I just in my head I was like I had depression now I don't I'm fine moving Mm -hmm. on with my life and that didn't happen that way and so when I went to college um things were going okay at first And then literally one morning, how I describe it, and it wasn't the first time it's happened in my life, but it was like I woke up in the morning and there was this like locked door in my brain that had just been like unlocked and unleashed and all the depression came back like tenfold Mm. and it was so overwhelming. And I also, um, I'm just, I don't know if you're going to put some kind of a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode or something because I I do touch a little bit on self-harm and thoughts of suicide when I talk about my mental health um so in college I actually developed an addiction to self-harm and that was pretty much the catalyst of what made me drop out or technically I left on medical leave but um I came home and I was just like what happened and where do I go from here (laughs) was very overwhelming. And my parents, even though my dad has actually been a counselor for now probably over 30 years in some extent, he does that full time now. Um, he was very not prepared to deal with that in his own child. And mm-hmm. that was really interesting to me because I think a lot of times we think of like mental health professionals as like professionals, obviously. But when it comes to your personal life, like it gets a lot different to experience it firsthand um anyway so eventually things did get a little bit better for me with my depression um I was not self-harming anymore and then that's when I moved out to Ohio and then when I was pregnant I suffered pretty bad anxiety and depression while I was pregnant and my doctor (laughs) communicated with me that I was Um, at a higher risk of having postpartum depression because of my previous experience with depression. And in my head, I was like assuming that I would have postpartum depression because I just thought that meant being depressed postpartum. And I was like, well, I'm already depressed now. And so I'm not (laughs) assuming that's just going to go away. You know what I mean? So I was depressed after I had my daughter and I, but it wasn't like, anything that crazy that bad and so it's like I'm fine and then at five months postpartum things started to get a little bit worse and literally every single day for a month it was a little bit worse than the day before a little bit worse than the day before but I was always like well I've made it this far like I'm fine like 
I grew up in an environment that was like push through, like you can do it, like you know what I mean. So I just, I just tried my best to just keep going, and I just felt like that's what I should do. That's what a good mom would do. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I reached a pretty severe breaking point where overnight, kind of like when I talked about the door opening that one morning at college, I had that happen where I woke up one morning and my brain was just flooded with suicidal thoughts and I had never had that before. Mm. And I was so scared and also like still like, well, I can do this. I can get through this by myself. And yeah, obviously I needed help and I am incredibly thankful for the people that helped me and also to myself for getting that help. But it was tough. I'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's so hard because like, like from a, like from my perspective as a doula, like when it's so difficult to have the time with, like if you have like a OB or a a doctor doing your uh, pregnancy care, it's so hard for them to like communicate like what is like, Mm -hmm antenatal depression and anxiety what is postpartum depression and anxiety that it's normal that it's expected but also that like there's help and like you're not alone it doesn't make you a bad mom but then when you have like when you have like such like all that stuff going on and then like all those outside factors that kind of let you down and then you have all of that Mm -hmm. stuff all of a sudden just coming at you from inside that's so heavy and so hard and it is like how do you even get out of that? You know, when you're under the weight of all of that, it's so hard to ask for help. Yeah. 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 I am very thankful for my doctor because she actually specializes in postpartum depression. And I have said before, and I don't think it's dramatic. I think she really saved my life because she really helped me get the help that I needed. And um, even like throughout my whole pregnancy, she always just, like very much listened to me and wasn't just like mm-hmm. trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. And I had my own issues with knowing how to communicate with her, but on her end, like I always felt very cared for and very listened to. That's and so I, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very thankful for her. Yeah. But then still you, even though you've had that support, even though you had someone that you could talk to, it didn't prevent it from happening to you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to talk about because, you can prepare as much as you want, but like you can't prepare yourself out of postpartum depression or anxiety or psychosis. Like that can happen to anybody. And, right. it's, and it's not because you have... did something wrong. No, no, not no, no. At all. And yeah. And I really struggled with that because I remember when I, Nick finally convinced me to call the doctor after I was having those suicidal thoughts and I was on the phone with the nurse and she was asking me, like, they have, you know, like mandated questions they have to ask in this kind of a situation. And she told me that I was not allowed to be at home alone with my daughter, which is where I currently was. And I just remember feeling like I failed. (laughs) My biggest role in my life right now is to care for my daughter. And I was just told by a medical professional that I'm not allowed to do that right now. And she didn't do anything wrong or anything like that, but it was just like this overwhelming feeling of failure because I think in our society and I think a lot of times like in the church as well, the role of being a mother is like 
the biggest, most important role you can have as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I do think it is an incredibly important role, but I think that I had confusion about what it meant to be a good mother because mm. what I learned was that to be a good mother was to take care of myself. And I couldn't, like the nurse is right, I couldn't take care of my daughter until I had taken care of myself. But in my head, I was be able to just soldier through and keep going. Yeah. Well, yeah. you were trying to pour from an empty cup. Oh, yeah. Like you're totally. trying to pour love and trying to pour, like, because you're, you know, especially when, when like, Noli was five months old, six months old when this was happening, when this was getting really bad for you. Yeah, 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 five to six yeah. months. I, that's exactly how old Jude is right now. They're so, yeah. like, there's so much that they need. They they are trying to, you know, but they're also, they're trying to grow emotionally. They're trying to, go men- like, grow mentally, and they're trying to be communicative and connecting and yeah, we can't take care of them. We can't help them grow. We can't help them be well when we don't have that to give them. When we're in a place where where we're just so empty, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I guess part of the part of this podcast is we exist in the context of the church. Like we, mm-hmm. no, we don't go to the same church, but we are. We both like identify as Christians. We both yeah. um, exist within uh, like within churches and within this framework of Christianity and mm-hmm. our stories take place in that context. That's just where we are. That's our context. And then your husband is actually a worship pastor, right? Worship leader, yeah. Worship leader. So I guess for you, how does this fit into your experience with church? Like, that's a vague question. Maybe. Yeah. What do you all oh, have some notes? That's <laughs> a big question. Um, is it okay if I share different points in my life? I'm assuming that's okay. You can like, share whatever feels right okay. to you. So I want to speak to my experience in the church in different time periods of my life. And I'm going to start with high school because that was when my depression really got bad. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, actively involved in my church. I was an incredibly active person in my youth group. Um, I was, like, a leader in the youth group. But I always just got the sense, both from people's actions towards me and their actual words towards me, that I was just very, like, over the top and too much emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, from my actual, like, youth pastor and leaders and Although I was in counseling for my depression, I at the time did not have my anxiety disorder or OCD diagnosis, which I mm-hmm. currently have. And I had at the time, um, like I had those things, I just hadn't been diagnosed with them. Mm-hmm. And without those, it was really hard to understand like my own brain and my own way of thinking. And my OCD is very rooted in like religion. I have a form of OCD called scrupulous OCD. I don't, have you heard of that? I have not heard of that. What does that mean? Okay. So scrupulous OCD is essentially like very much rooted in religion and morality and like a fear of like the wrath of God. So Mm -hmm. like thinking like not just like, oh, if I kill somebody, I sinned, but like, oh, if I don't take a step at the exact right second, then I have done something wrong. Like really extreme. Like I remember as a child, I thought if I didn't move every every way that I was supposed to move, this is kind of hard to explain without motions. But like, 
you know, you're like walking down the road or something right. and whatever your stance is of walking, like however you walk. I thought that if I made any kind of little misstep or moved my hands in a wrong way, that that would be like condemned by God. Mm-hmm. And as I grew older, like logic does play a role. And, you know, as you learn certain things and I didn't have it about those, ex- those extreme things, but it still followed me now where I still have, like, if I don't have perfect theology, God will condemn me. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing I struggle with because there are certain issues are certain theological ideas that I feel uncertain about. And it's, I hate like uncertainty is like the absolute worst thing I can feel with mm-hmm. my, like, especially around anything like with theolo- theology, religion, or like morality. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it was obviously easy for me to feel like I was bad for thinking the way that I did in high school because my OCD was rooted in strict religion. And anyway, it was kind of a hot mess. Um, I found that the church can often feel uncomfortable around the topic and the presence of mental illness. I like, have do you mean in like churches and church communities have a hard time talking about it and a hard time bringing it up? A hard time talking about it and a hard time knowing how to actually like help a person that is mentally ill. Uh-huh. Like it's one thing to talk about it like as a topic and like in theory. Right. Like, but it's what a different do? thing. Yeah. What do you do when it's your friend? Like, how is it actually yeah. practiced? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I have seen some positive strides made um, in the church. But in my experience, it's only been through growing pains, um, like Christians and leaders in the church having to go through personal experiences, either like with them personally or with a loved one that really opened their eyes to like Mm -hmm. understanding mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there's this like spoken or unspoken belief in the church, depending on the church you go to that mental illness is like a cop out for sin. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me maybe just share what you're trying to communicate, but I do think I understand. Yeah. So like as somebody that has anxiety, I have a generalized anxiety disorder. Sorry. I have been like, like, especially recently, I'm anxious pretty much from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. And Christians will say, well, the Bible clearly states, like, do not be anxious for anything. So if you're anxious, then that means that you're not trusting God. And if you aren't trusting God, then you're sinning. Mm -hmm. And I will give an actual example where I went, to a Sunday school class actually at the church that I'm at now, (laughs) but this was years ago um, when Nick and I were either dating or first married or I'm not sure, but the sermon had been about anxiety and I had really appreciated the sermon. And then in Sunday school class, we were going to be discussing the sermon and I was very uncomfortable just because I didn't really know many people there. And I just, you know, I didn't know what people were going to say because it can be a, for whatever reason, like a taboo thing to talk about at church. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they opened up, the guy who was leading the class opened up by asking for if anybody wanted to share anything. And so I shared that I had really appreciated the message because I have had anxiety my whole life. And, you know, nobody really said anything, but whatever. And he went on to say that 
one, he said he had no experience with anxiety. And I immediately a red flag went off in my head because I was like, why are you teaching this then? (laughs) You admitted that you have no experience or understanding of it. So he said that he went on Google and decided to try and learn about anxiety. And like verbatim, he said, did you know that there's such a thing as an anxiety disorder? I guess you could call it that if you mean a sin disorder. Um, And I was just like in in horror, like mm -hmm. awe in a bad way. I was just like, what just happened? And I could... I have like I'm pretty good at reading people, so I could tell there's a couple other people in the room that I were was pretty sure also had anxiety, and they were just kind of like, oh, I'm not going to say anything now. And then he also went on to talk about his opinions on taking medication for mental illness, and thankfully that's when Nick stepped in and said something because it was just utterly ridiculous, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that caused a lot of hurt and pain for me, and also specifically for that church and i i thought that that person spoke for the church so in my yeah because they were in a teaching position yes yeah yes and so i was always like didn't really want to go there with nick and then god had to really soften my heart because we are members there now and he's on staff there and i realized that although that may be his perspective that is by no means like the elders of the church's beliefs and perspectives. Uh-huh. And so I'm thankful that God helped me to meet people that did not share that belief. But that was an incredibly painful experience for me in the church. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really difficult because you, especially after you had shared, you had taken the step and chosen to be vulnerable yeah. and said, you know, anxiety is something that I struggled with or I do struggle with. I actively yeah. struggle with. And then to have someone almost ignore that and then they just kind of turn it around and say, well, anxiety is sin. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that would be really, really difficult. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty hard. And I remember talking to my dad about it because like I mentioned, my dad has been, um, in the mental health field for a long time and he also went to seminary. And so he has a lot of like biblical theological knowledge. And just talking about the difference between, like, worrying and having an actual anxiety disorder and how those are two different things. Absolutely. And they're, of course, like, for somebody that does not have an anxiety disorder and they're, like, choosing to really worry about something and not praying about it at all, like, I understand how that has been. Um, but to, to blanket statement say that all anxiety is sin. Um, is really damaging. Yeah, because, and and you did, like, you just shared this, like, there is a difference between an anxiety disorder and being, like, having some, like, a moment of being anxious. It's not the yeah. same of having an anxiety disorder. In the same right. way as, like, um, like, if we use something that's very, like, physical, like, if it's really hot, it's the middle of summer, um, being, if you're outside for too long and you overheat, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But if you have, like, uh, an issue regulating your body temperature and you are often overheating yeah. because of, like, a medical dysfunction right. in your body, that's a completely different thing. And so it's hard, I think, sometimes with mental illness that we we don't have the 
awareness that our bodies have a like our brain is a part of our body and we need Mm -hmm. to treat it like it's a part of our body and so we separate you know your mind and your spirit from the body and when we do that you know then mental illness is just like a spiritual problem but sometimes like it is like a real problem in our brain chemistry in the way that like our like just our neural pathways were formed in childhood and like Mm -hmm. there are treatments sometimes for those things but yeah it's not as simple as like praying it away always. Yeah, and I and think the same that... way we don't pray away. We don't. We don't merely pray away cancer. It's not that we don't yeah. pray about a uh, medical diagnosis. We do, and we should. But mm-hmm. we also seek treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's like a big thing that I try and communicate with others that I see who are struggling, but for whatever reason, feel like they can't get help, whether mm-hmm. they feel like it's their own sin issue that they need to deal with, or they're embarrassed about the stigma of going to therapy, or they have a fear of being like over medicated. And so they just, they don't want to go to see anybody because they're afraid of that. And it's just like, like you said, I think a lot of times we go to cancer because it's like the majority of people that are diagnosed with cancer are going to seek treatment for that and like nobody in the Christian or very few people in the Christian community are going to say, well, you are just not trusting God to take your cancer Mm -hmm. away. Like, (laughs) and that has even been like um, an issue with my husband, Nick and I in our marriage, because he just had very little understanding about mental illness before we got together. And Mm -hmm. in earlier times in our relationship, he would just be like, well, you just need to have more faith. And I would just get like really hurt and upset. And Mm -hmm. we have had many, many conversations and um, he has grown tremendously, uh, especially through my postpartum depression. Um, I think really opened his eyes to just like the, the pain that I was going through um, and that it wasn't just me like, you know, making it up or being dramatic or not that he really thought those things. Um, but I think it was just kind of like a, I don't totally understand it. And so you just kind of like have a hard time believing it because you don't yeah. understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I think that's hard because a lot of people in the church, it seems like it feels like a lot of people in the church don't understand. Yeah. Like there's, and I obviously both of us know this is not true, but there's this feeling that everyone when I go to church on Sunday morning, there's this feeling like everybody has their life together. But here I am a total mess. Yeah. And it's so hard in that space to be vulnerable. And I know that that's not true, but it is how it feels. It definitely feels that way. And I think in the area that we live in, um, the culture, like people are kind of expected to show their best face Um, and being outside the culture and coming into it. I think it's easy for me to see that. Um, But from talking with a lot of people that grew up in this culture, that's not necessarily like obvious to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it was kind of hurtful at first because I just kind of felt like all this pressure to look a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, like while I was at church, Mm -hmm. that was like, not authentic at all Mm -hmm. and realizing like 
I I do think that God has gifted me with vulnerability, and I think I'm supposed to use that vulnerability to help other people realize that it's okay to not look totally put together or act yeah. totally put together. Like, it's okay to let your guard down a little bit and be honest Well, and where you're at. And you shared a story with me, and if you don't feel comfortable sharing this, I understand that completely. Yeah. But you kind of talk about an experience that you had a couple of years ago, shortly after, like, you realized that you had postpartum depression that was really severe, you were at, um, and both of us, I think that I, I was even there. So, like, I am just as, like, guilty as anybody else. I, I don't remember if I was there or not, but the odds are really good. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, this was back at a time in both of our lives where we went to the same church and we went to every single service of that church yeah. and yeah. all these things. And so you shared a story that, um, I guess, why not, why, if you're willing to, maybe you should just tell Yeah, that. no, I am. I think I know what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. you know, that's what you're saying. Yeah, well, like, you just were having a really um, emotional moment. You were having, you were in the midst of your really severe postpartum depression. This was before you had been, uh, before you admitted yourself to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You, We were both at a worship service at our church, yeah. and you just kind of were really in a really broken place. And I don't know, maybe can you share that from your perspective? Yeah. That's funny because I actually had, I wrote notes about that experience because I wanted to talk about it on here. So I'm glad that you asked that. Um, so I specifically remember the day you're talking about, that's actually the morning that I woke up with the suicidal thoughts that Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. And it was a Sunday evening service um, that you're mentioning. So I ended up admitting myself, like, I think three or four days after that day, Um but I went to that service. My husband was playing some instrument. I don't know what. Uh, a friend of mine watched Noli, my daughter, in the nursery for me because I really felt like I just needed uninterrupted time with the Lord. And I sat in the back on the floor, but there were other people around me. And I, like, completely broke to the point where I was basically weeping, like loud crying, body shaking. And nobody approached me, like literally nobody. And there were people, including a pastor, that walked right by me. And it is possible that they didn't notice because the music was loud, but it just felt like nobody wanted to help me or be there for me. Like they Mm -hmm. were uncomfortable with my extreme emotional display. (laughs) And I remember a couple months later, after I had been through treatment at a psychiatric hospital and I was starting to get my bearings again people started to approach me at church and they were saying that they were proud of me or that how God was so faithful and I just was left feeling like why didn't you approach me then like why are you just talking to me now and it -hmm. just felt like people are more comfortable talking to you when you're already on the mend than they are in the depths of when you really need help And I just, I, cause there were so many, I don't remember if you were there or not, but I do remember other friends that were there and I, they weren't that far away from me. And I just kept thinking, do you not see me? Like, Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, like I said, maybe they didn't, but I was just like so broken. And I thought, well, if you're broken, go to church. And I did. And then the only person that ended up being there for me that night besides my husband was my friend that watched Noli for me in the nursery because she knew what was going on. 
but I just felt like very, very alone. Yeah. And I'm really sorry that that was an experience that you had. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking that that happened to you, that in the context of a community who does love you, who does yeah. like strive to love Jesus and love you, um, that that was what you experienced, that even in the midst of people who at the very least are trying to love God and love people that you could feel so alone is, yeah. is, is heartbreaking. It isn't like Jesus because we know like when we look at the person of Jesus, he sees us like he sees yeah. us really, really us like that you were seen in that moment by Jesus, by someone who did love you and that even though you were seen, even if the people around you did or didn't see, I, I can't say what any of their choices were. Like, right. The heart of God broke for you at that moment yeah. when you were, yeah. when you were left to feel alone in the midst of the body of Christ. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Cause I, one thing that I've really struggled with and I think it stems from my OCD is like either viewing people as good or bad. And I viewed all those people as good people. And so I felt like I wasn't allowed to say that I was hurt by them mm, because yeah. good people can't do bad things. But I'm not saying that's true. It's just my thought process with my OCD. And so for a while, I was really like, I didn't really know what to do. I felt I felt like guilty even saying anything because I didn't want to make other people feel bad, right. <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, I think that's it was, one of the things that's really hard in the context of the church is how to own a story that happened yeah. that's painful. Yeah. It's, because there is also there's this element of, well, am I going to be ostracized if I speak what happened to me? What what really happened in my life? Am I going to get in trouble if I say this, if it makes yeah. other people look bad? And sometimes, yes. And yeah. that's not right, but it is what happened. Yeah. Yeah, and there was another... Um, it was probably, you know, three months, maybe after my hospitalization, I was at a different evening service and a friend of mine came up to me and she was crying and she apologized because she felt like, you know, she hadn't seen what I was struggling with and she hadn't been there for me. And in the moment, I like really appreciated her saying that to me, mm -hmm. um, but she literally never followed up with me again about it. And I just mm -hmm. felt like it was more about easing her guilty conscience than actually being there for me. And that was yeah. really hard, too, because I was like, I love her and I care about her, but I just didn't feel that reciprocated. And, you know, that's not, not necessarily true. Like, I know that her life is busy and stuff, but, like, I just was left feeling like, what was the point of coming to apologize to me then? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that it was... Yeah about her and not about you. It was it was motivated yeah. by her desire to feel better rather than for yeah. her because she loves you. And I I mean, I'll be the Which first may to or may not be true. on that. I'm sure I've apologized to somebody more so because of my own guilt than actually caring about them. Oh, so, I'm not saying that to, like paint her in a bad way or anything, but just like that kind of stuff can be really hurtful though when you're you're in the midst of struggling. Yeah. Well, I just, I want to, like, I really want to say, like, Allie, like, that I'm very thankful 
for your willingness to be vulnerable and to share your story with us. And I, I know that it's hard. I know that there, it's scary because you, you know, you don't know if there's going to be repercussions. You don't know if there's yeah. going to be someone who hears this and gets upset with you. You don't know. Yeah. Those are hard things. Um, and I'm really thankful that you are choosing to speak anyway, that you're choosing to share your story anyway, because I think that I, I know that I have so much to learn from you. Like, and I know that I'm not the only one. Um, but I, I really just want to like say, I'm really thankful to have you in my life. Thank and I'm you. really thankful for the impact that you are making on the conversation um, around mental illness in the church. Mm-hmm. And I know that your story is valuable and that your story is beautiful, even if it's not like, like, it's not all like light and fluffy clouds, you know, (laughs) like, nope. but like, if your story is a painting, like there's a lot of dark colors in this Mm -hmm. part of it, Yeah. but that doesn't mean that it's bad. Like there can be so much beauty in that still, like that can be beautiful still. And I'm, I'm just thankful that you're willing to share it with us. And I know that you're really valuable and that your story deserves to be shared. Um, But why do you want to share your story? Uh, It's a good question. I, like I said earlier that I believe that God has given me a gift of vulnerability. And I'm not saying that I don't get anxiety and sharing, but it is very much in my nature to be open with people. And I've come to a point where I, not like I have to 100% of the time, but I feel like it's like my duty to be open um, Mm -hmm. because I have seen like time and time and time again that every time that I am open, it helps somebody else have the courage to be open and to share something that they would not have shared if I didn't speak first. Mm -hmm. And I know that other people have done that for me in my life when I was younger um, and even now. But I just feel very strongly like if I have the ability to be vulnerable, which is something that is very difficult for other people, and I want to help people, then I should use my gift of being vulnerable to help other people be vulnerable. Because in my experience and my understanding, when we are absolutely vulnerable with where we are with ourselves and with like a trusted person, like, that's where true healing takes place. Yeah. And my desire is for people to experience healing in their lives. And I believe that my gift of vulnerability really helps people do that. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, well, I guess I'll shift gears now. Do you have <laughs> anything that has been, like, really fun for you lately? Like, anything in your life that has been fun or that you've been really enjoying watching or reading or listening to? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. One thing I love to listen to is the Lazy Genius podcast. Have you ever listened to that? I have not listened to that. Oh, my word. sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Uh, Her first name is Kendra. I'm blanking on her last name. But if you just search the Lazy Genius podcast, you'll find her. She is a delight to listen to. And her whole, like, philosophy is to be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. And as a recovering perfectionist, that's like a message I deeply need to hear. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I highly recommend her podcast. She's super fun to listen to and also just has loads of practical advice, especially with cooking. And yeah, she's a lot of fun. You should look her up. I will. Um, I'll also say that my daughter has been a big source of joy in my life lately. She, Her name is Magnolia. She's two and a half years old. She is 100% the best dancer I know. And <laughs> she has the energy of a cheetah who just drank four cups of coffee. And, oh yeah, it's often overwhelming, but also, like, incredibly delightful. Like, she is hilarious when she's not yelling at me. <laughs> But, yeah, she's a joy. Um, if you're friends with me on Instagram, you've probably seen videos of her dancing on my story. I mean, she was in my house dancing a couple weeks ago, so that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> she's got a great move. Yeah. And also, Nick and I have been watching the show Psych together lately. Eli loves that show. Yeah, I had never watched it before. Nick has literally been asking me to watch it for, like, five years, and I finally said yes. <laughs> and... It combines my love for crime shows with Nick's love of not being scared by things that he watches. Oh, I feel that. I watch a lot of, like, scary true crime stuff that Nick is not about. <laughs> no, I can't. I, like, so you and I both know, we, we've both talked about the Enneagram before, and we're yeah. both, we both um, resonate really strongly with the six on the Enneagram. Uh-huh, and yes. all of the, like, things say that Enneagram sixes are really into true crime. And I'm like, no, we're not. This one's not. <laughs> No, 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 nothing. Well, maybe you're like not, that. but I am. No, I'm and, so I mean, glad that you enjoy it, but I can't I do, do it. I enjoy it, but it is also, I have to be mindful because there are times where it is, I mean, obviously I have anxiety and those shows are incredibly anxiety inducing. So I have to be smart, which not that I'm always smart, but you got to be mindful. Right. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Hey, well, Allie, I really appreciate that you came on and shared your story and just told it. I got to share about your family. I love you guys all. And so it was Aww. such a pleasure to have you. Thanks. We love you too, Bernice. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You bet. We'll have to do this again sometime. Oh, yeah. Yeah.